Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Acts. Just a couple of scriptures, Acts chapter 7, reading from verse 9. We gotcha. Here we go. (laughs) Acts chapter 7, and I'm reading from verse 9. The Bible says this. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all of his palace. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. I just thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord God, to dive into your word and to allow you to speak into our hearts and lives. Father, we're hungry to hear a word from you. We haven't come to hear an individual. Uh, we, We haven't come to hear a talk. We've come to hear the word of the Lord. So would you speak into our lives, I pray today. Father, let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word. Father, we I just thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom here today. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, words are powerful. Uh, the words we speak are powerful. The um, Bible says that words have the power of life and death. Uh, how true that is. It's amazing that, you know, often we just think, you know, a word is just a word, but how much damage words can do. How a negative word or a, or a bad word can affect us deeply and sometimes mark our spirit and our hearts for, for years and for, for our life. Um, of all the words in the English language, which two words are the most powerful? Of all the words in the English language, which, which two words are the most powerful? Think about some of these words like, thank you. And we don't hear that a lot today, but just thank you. So isn't it nice when you hear, thank you? Thank you. You do something, and that thank you. Uh, what about love you? How powerful are those two words? Love you. Usually three, I love you, but it's love you. I love you. It's beautiful. Uh, what about I'm sorry? You know, how, how many wars would, be, would not be fought just because of these two words? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Um, powerful words can change our lives. And then, of course, I'll pay other good words to hear from time to time. If someone's going to pay when they take me out to lunch, I prefer to tell me before, not after, so before you order, because you know, it'll affect the way you order and which restaurant you go to, you know what I'm saying? Two words, and yet these words have incredible power to change our lives. In this series, I want to talk about two words that I believe can change our life. It's these two words, but God. Every time those words appear in the Bible, what follows next is radical change. Incredible change. Two words are a conjunction, a bit of English grammar today. They are a conjunction and they sit between two sentences. You know, words like however and because is the word, but God. 
and all the word but as well. Um, you know, we kind of use those words often. You know, food was great, but whenever you hear that word but, you know something bad is coming, don't you? You know, food was great, but it was expensive. So it's a, it's a conjunction. It sits in between two sentences. He's a really nice guy. She's a nice girl, but... <laughs> And you know what's about to come, something not too good. Uh, those two words, but God, appear over 45 times in the Bible. Let me give you some examples in Scripture. Asaph said in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail. Speaking about physical, his physical health, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. In other words, I may be weak physically, but actually I'm strong inside of my heart and in my spirit, and he will be my portion forever. Paul speaking about Epaphroditus, indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. How we need the mercy of God in our lives, the grace of God. Speaking of David, day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. In other words, Saul was out to kill David, but the Bible says, but God did not give him into his hands. God protected him. How we need the protection of God in our own hearts and in our own lives. I don't know what situation you find yourself in today, but I want you to know that we serve a God that can intervene. That no matter what you've done or what's happened to you or what you've been through, that no matter how dark or difficult your situation may be, we serve a God that can intervene our lives. We serve a God that in the midst of a sentence sentence that describes our life, He can interrupt that sentence. He can disrupt that sentence. He can insert two little words into that sentence that change the description and the destiny of our lives. How powerful is that? Today, I want to look at the power of those two words in the life of Joseph. How do we deal, is the question I want to look at, how do we deal with the tragedies, the perplexities of our life? the regrets of our lives? How do we deal with those difficult situations, those things in our lives that don't make sense? I want want to speak about how to navigate those tough times in life, the mistakes of our life, the perplexities. Notice the verse we read in our text, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, speaking about his brothers. They sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. Like here we are, a description of what was happening in his life. But then then we have this conjunction that comes into that sentence. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. And I I, I pray this morning that this word would give all of us, it's encouraged me this word. And I, I just pray that it would encourage all of us here today. For those that don't know the story of Joseph, there might be some people here today. Let me give it to you briefly. Joseph's dad was Jacob, and he had uh, 12 sons. His favorite was Joseph. Something about that name. You know, we're always the favorites, Joseph, Joe. Bad luck, the rest of you that missed out. You know what I mean? His favorite was Joseph, and his brothers hated him because of that. You'll remember that his dad makes him a multicolored... I can't see your your face. I want to see your faces. (laughs) I don't know if you're laughing or not. Anyway, um, uh, he, he's, he, you remember that uh, Joseph's dad made him a multicolored coat, and, you know, and he paraded that, and his brothers hated him even more. Um, they hate him so much they want to kill him. God gives him this dream, and, and uh, he, he gives it to his brothers, doesn't even think, no emotional tension, intelligence whatsoever, and he just tells his brother, they hate him, and so they hate him so much they want to kill him. 
But instead, what they do is they sell him off to the Midianites. Joseph ends up as a servant in Pharaoh's house and things go from bad to worse. Anyone ever happened to that in their lives where things go from bad to worse? Pharaoh's wife takes a liking to him. He refuses to sleep with her. She accuses him of rape and he ends up in prison. And by the way, he ends up in prison for a couple of years. Until one day, Pharaoh has a dream and his advisors can't interpret that dream. Um, one of them remembers, oh yeah, Joseph interpreted my dream. And he does. And he tells Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine. And suddenly, he becomes the second in charge of Egypt. Famine is affecting Jacob and his family. Sends his sons off to Egypt to buy some grain. This is now... 22 years after he was sold uh, to the Midianites, 22 years have gone past. And you know the story, his brothers don't recognize him. Um, and then there's this amazing reunion. It's just powerful reading in the Bible. And later Jacob dies uh, and now the brothers are scared. They're scared that Joseph's going to get revenge. Um, and, uh, and so they're, they're afraid. The only reason why he hasn't killed them is because their dad was alive. But now the dad's dead. He's going to kill them. He's convinced of that. And uh, so they come to Joseph and they say, listen, before Jacob died, he told us that you should forgive your brothers. He could have told Joseph that, but he, he, he didn't. He told the rest of them. Uh, forgive your brothers. Joseph says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You don't understand all of this. You, you don't understand what's happened here because this is way bigger than you and me because God was all over this. And then there's that amazing verse. Listen to it carefully that we all know so well. You intended to harm me, but here's our two words. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me. And here, here, here's, here's our two words, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I want us to look at this verse that we know very, very well. I want us to look at it a little more closely. The first aspect of this verse is you intended to harm me. Word intended there is a particular word in the Hebrew that describes to think, to plan, to plot, to devise. So, so, of course, he's speaking about the brothers' intent to harm Joseph. The, you know, as, as, as Joseph was growing up, as they were seeing the, 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 the favoritism that Joseph had, they started to think, they started to plot, devise. They were planning a way to get rid of him, to kill him. One translation said, you plan to harm me. And that's what they were doing. They were planning to harm him in some way. I want you to know that we have an enemy that is thinking, planning, plotting, devising situations and circumstances to destroy us and to harm us. He will use people. He will sow things into our childhood, our teenage years. He will get us when we're weak, when we're vulnerable. He'll get us addicted to anything he can. He'll use sickness. He'll get us to make dumb decisions that we will regret for the rest of our lives. He will bring along Prince Charming or Cinderella that will sweep us off our feet and then destroy us even through that. He will do whatever he can to destroy the purposes of God in our lives. The Bible says he comes to steal, kill and destroy. And that's what he wants to do with your life. And that's what he wants to do with our lives. He has one purpose in mind. 
And that is to limit the purposes of God in our life. You may not see the potential in your life. You may not see how valuable you are to this world that we're living in today. You may not see how valuable you are to the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you someone who does, and that's the enemy. He knows the power of one individual. Surrender to God what they can actually do. He knows what one individual can do that is fully committed to God and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, obedient to God. He knows what one individual can do and he will do everything he can to destroy you and to kill your potential. He has a script for your life. He wants the sentence that describes your life to to read in a certain way. The verse says, you intended to harm me, but listen, listen what the enemy's script is for your life and my life. The enemy says, I'm intending to harm you. My intent is to harm you so that you will be miserable, so that you will be ineffective, so that you will be unhappy, so that you will turn away from God. So you will spend the rest of your life blaming God for whatever's happened in your life. So that you will spend the rest of your life wishing, hoping, dreaming that things could be different, that things could have been different. Think about the life of Joseph. We know the end of the story, but Joseph didn't. He didn't know what was to come. He didn't know that one day he would be the second in Pharaoh. I mean, if he knew, it would have changed his whole perspective, but he didn't know that. Think about all the things that happened to him. Betrayal from family, sold into slavery, falsely accused, in a prison, forgotten. What did he do wrong? What did he do to deserve this? Just for the record, he spent 13 years in slavery and prison before he was promoted. 13 years of his life in, in, in tragedy and in difficulty and regret and hardship and one thing after another going from bad to worse to worse to worse. Can you imagine the questions in his mind? Can you imagine the perplexities? God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you stop them? Why didn't you intervene? Where were you, God? I thought you were in control. Where are you, God? I don't see any any of your intervention in my life. How many people spend their whole life with regret, wishing things could have been different, ruminating over what could have been done, what could have been, what might have been, what should have been, spinning on the if-only merry-go-round, If only I'd have done, if only, if only, if only, if only. I mean, how many times can you go round and round that merry-go-round? And yet we do. It's what the enemy wants for us. That's the script that the enemy has for our lives. The enemy's planning, plotting, devising ways to harm you so that you will be miserable, so that you will be ineffective in your walk with God. The enemy says, I intended to harm you so that you could never amount to anything. I I, I made sure that I would hurt you, wound you, break you, so that you would waste your life. That's the enemy's script for our lives. If that's you today, I want you to know. Come on, church. I, I want you to know that does not need to be the script of our lives in Jesus' name. I want you to know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper in the name of Jesus. I, I want you to know that no, no, no matter what, what the enemy has thrown at no weapon formed against us shall prosper by the grace of God and for the glory of God. That no matter what, what we've done, what, what, what wrongs that we have done, the things that we, the regrets in our own lives, we serve a God who's the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance in the name of Jesus by the grace of God. Can I hear an amen somewhere? 
First aspect of the verse is, you intended to harm me. Now notice the second part. Most people interpret the verse, you intended to harm me, but God used it for good. It's not what the verse actually says. What the verse says is, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Same word intended there is used in both parts of the verse. Remember, the word intended there is a particular word that describes the think, the plan, the plot, the devise. It's strategic thinking about how the, what the enemy does to destroy our lives. And I want you to know that we might have an enemy that's thinking and plotting situations and circumstances to destroy us. But we also have a God that is thinking, planning, plotting, devising situations and circumstances to bring us to our destiny. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. The enemy thought that he was destroying Joseph's life, but what he didn't know is that the brothers' hatred, the Midianites, the prison, were all bringing Joseph to his destiny. The very things the enemy thought were going to destroy Joseph were the very things that God was using to bring him to his destiny. Now, I'm sure there are many of us here today who can identify with Joseph. I'm sure many of us can identify with the pain that he was experiencing, where the pain is so deep and so profound, we don't have words to describe it. Situations that don't seem to make sense. Situations that don't seem to have any kind of purpose whatsoever. Situations where it seems like God is absent, silent. Why didn't he intervene? Some people are kind of destroyed by COVID at the moment. You know, fair enough, there's a, there's a lot of stuff happening. But for some people, they wish their only problem was COVID. They, they just wish that was, that was it that they had to worry about. What they're experiencing is a hundred times deeper and worse than all of that. This story reminds us that God was there all along for Joseph. That God was working out his purpose in Joseph's life. That God was thinking and planning and plotting and working out his purpose in Joseph's life. That what looked like a dark moment in his life, what looked like just bad luck for Joseph, that what looked like a major setback was in fact a setup for what God was about to do in his life. I don't know who you are today. And I don't know what you're going through right now, but there might be some people saying, you know, I'm going through a hard time right now. Where, where, where nothing seems to be going to plan where you feel defeated and broken, I want you to know that God is near to the brokenhearted, that God has not forgotten you, that God has not abandoned you in the name of Jesus, by His grace and for His glory, that He is very much involved in your life and that He has been involved in your life from day dot. And what may seem like the worst time in your life is in fact God working out His purpose in you. What may seem like the absence of God is actually God preparing you, shaping you, forming you, humbling you for what he's about to do in your life. I don't know about you, but this, 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 this word, it just excites me. <laughs> I, just, I just get excited about this word because we're living in a world filled with pain. And we could spend all of our lives regretting that pain and spending our life in regret, which is exactly what the enemy wants. Or if we start to see our pain from God's perspective, it can change. Something can change. Something can shift. 
All throughout the Bible, you see situations like this. Moses is in the desert wandering aimlessly for 40 years, 40 years, 40 years, just wandering, just wandering, just wandering. And it looked like it was the end for Moses. It looked like his life had finished. No more purpose in life, just wandering, just being a shepherd through a desert. All these dreams he had of liberating the people of Israel, all gone, 40 years in a desert. And what looked like he was just walking aimlessly through this desert was God preparing him to one day lead the people of Israel through that same desert. What the enemy intended for harm, God intended for good. Gideon is in a wine press, afraid. Jehoshaphat faced with a mighty army that he can't defeat. And he's gone, we're dead, we're finished. It's, an, it's the enemy intending to destroy the people of Israel. But God is looking at that same situation and so you wait to see what I'm about to do. A widow has a bit of flour and oil left and she's going to die. And I can see the enemy going, this is it. The last bit of oil and the last bit of flour and you're dead and you're finished. I got rid of another two. The enemy intended for harm. But God was planning and plotting and thinking and he's got Elijah coming around and, and he's got Elijah knocking on her door. Make, make me a bread, make me a piece of cake. I just got a bit left. That's all I got left. Make me the first one and see what God will do. Ruth has lost her husband. Imagine the grief and the tragedy. You intended to harm me and, God, and the enemy's thinking, I got you now. You're finished. Your life is finished. But God intended it for good. God had a plan. God had a plan because God had a plan for Ruth. He said, I'm, I'm going to bring you to meet this guy called Boaz. And one day you will be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ himself. And she was a Moabite. The Moabites were despised by the people of Israel, but not despised by God. And there's a story in there for all of us because we may feel despised, but God still uses the, peop the, the people that maybe others will despise, but God still uses them for his grace and glory. David's on the run. Saul is in a prison. I just read last night Philippians and Paul says, I'm in this prison. I'm writing, but you wouldn't believe it. I got this guard next to me, you know, and, and I'm preaching to these guys. Poor, those poor soldiers next to, can you imagine? He would have been preaching 24 hours. And, you know, some of them are coming to Christ. The whole palace guard is coming to know. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Maybe God put him right there, A, to write the scriptures, but maybe it was to save one of those soldiers. Who would turn? How, how's God gonna gonna get the whole palace guard to come to Christ? Simple, one soldier at a time. John is on the Isle of Patmos. God gives him the Book of Revelation. These are all situations that seem hopeless and dark. Look like there was no hope. Look like there was no purpose to what they were going through. Just random acts of bad luck. But these were not random acts of bad luck. It was in the midst of them that God was outworking His purpose. Joseph reminds us that God can use some of the worst situations in our life for his glory. And kind of this leads us to the third aspect of the verse. Notice how the verse reads, the enemy meant it for harm, instead God used it for good. How do we make sure that the statement for our lives doesn't finish with tragedy? How do we make sure that the sentence that describes our life does not finish with tragedy? How do we step into the purposes of God for our lives? If we're going to step into the purposes of God for our lives, we need to understand and experience the power of those two little words, but God. We need to recognize the power of these two little words, but God. 
And in order for that to happen, there's three things we need to believe about God. There are three things that we need to be firmly convinced of. Number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That means that God is above every circumstance, every power, every principality. We need to get, if, if, this, if this verse is going to become a reality of our lives, if this word is going to become a description of our lives, the first thing that we be, need, need to be convinced of is that God is sovereign. There is no power, no enemy that is greater than God. No one can frustrate the plans of God. There needs to be a conviction deep in your spirit, a worldview that says God is sovereign, He's above everything. One of the reasons why, am I concerned about this COVID stuff? Of course, I'm just like you. Vaccine or no vaccine. Okay, I get it all. And I'm, and I'm certainly, you know, in the, I'm in the mix with you, okay, on all of this stuff. And what's going on and what's happening and, you know... Uh, you know, who, the conspiracies and all of that. I'm, I'm with you all on all that, whatever. But in, deep inside of my heart is this, is this understanding. No one can frustrate the plans of God. You know, you look at some of these conspiracy things and there's these, you know, hierarchy over there somewhere, whatever, and they're dominating the world and they want to take over. You know, it's like they're like playing risk and they want to take one country over at a time. There's all these... Right. We either have a worldview that says human beings are in control... Or we have a worldview that says God is in control. Because if we're in control, then we, we, we better start rallying and we better start. I'm not, I'm not against any of that. But I'm, you just hear me. We're going to get rid of the government and we'll put another one in there. Oh, because they're going to be different. Um, anyway, we, you know, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need Because we're in control. Read Psalm 2 and it says, you know, the leaders of the world, they get together, they conspire and they, and they, you know, they make all their plans and God laughs at them. He scoffs at them. Why? Because God is sovereign. The Bible says man throws the dice, but God determines the outcome. It's a verse for some gamblers here today. Let's get it right along. No one can frustrate the plans of God. You remember, you know, when God spoke to Satan about Job, Satan said, the reason why he's blessed is because you're protecting him. But if you take the hedge of protection around him, he will curse you and die. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has in your power is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The devil can do nothing in your life that God does not allow. No one can do anything in your life that God does not allow. You cannot do anything in your life that God does not allow. Second thing we need to be fully convinced of is that God is a good God. That God loves me and he has a best interest at heart. See what great love, 1 John 3, 1, the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God loves you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and it's a good plan. How many people understand? I, I, sorry, I believe that one of the greatest revelations that we can have is that God loves us. I'm loved by God. I am loved by God. I am loved by my Father in heaven. He loves me. He thinks the world of me. It's one of the greatest revelations that we can have. No human being can love you like God loves you. It doesn't matter what's happened to you here on earth. We have a Father in heaven that thinks the world of us. And it's one of the greatest revelations that we can have. Okay, so I believe that God is sovereign. He's above everything. And I believe that he's good. Then why have I been through all of this pain in my life? How can God have allowed all of this if he's a good God and he's sovereign, he's in control? This is the paradox of faith. 
It's the crisis of faith we all experience. Asaph said this, Psalm 73, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Here he is, he's setting, he's setting up, he's understanding. God, you're a good, you're a good God, you're a, you're a good God to Israel, you're an amazing God. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, I'd nearly lost foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What Asaph was saying is, I know that God is good, I know that God is sovereign, but when I looked at the prosperity of the wicked, I nearly lost my faith. I said to myself, why is God blessing them? Why are they happier than I am? We say the same thing. I know that God is good. I know that God is sovereign. But when I look at what has happened to me, when I look at what God has allowed in, in me, it makes no sense to me. These, these two thoughts, these two beliefs that you're saying, Pastor Joe, they just make no sense to me because everything in my life seems to be the complete opposite of those two statements. It feels like God is not in control and it feels like he's not a good God. So how do we deal with that paradox? How do we deal with that paradox in our life? Well, the only way to deal with that paradox is to see the power of those two words, but God. It's to invite and bring God into our pain and into our lives. It's to start to see our lives from God's perspective. It's to step back and start to see our lives with God's eyes. From time that Joseph was sold by his brothers to the time he said to them, you intended to harm me. I told you it was 22 years. Can you imagine Joseph at year one? Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? It's not fair, God. If only this had happened. I should have kept my mouth shut. I should have not taken that coat. I should have said to dad, dad, if I put that coat on, they're going to think I'm better than everybody else. No, I shouldn't have worn that coat. Can you imagine how many times he went? And that's where most of us are at and where we get stuck. We get stuck at year one. Where were you, God? What did you do, God? Why didn't you intervene, God? If only, if only I hadn't gone there. If only I didn't do that. What was I thinking? I was so stupid. Year two, three, four, five, six. Can you imagine the thoughts that are going through his head? But, but, but as every year passes, slowly, gradually, he moves further away from the situation and until finally he's at year 22. You know, right here is in the midst of if only, if only, if only. But then as the years pass, he starts to step back. Year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, year seven. He's at year 22 and now he can see everything, but not from his own perspective. He can now see it from God's perspective. And he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You planned to harm me, but God planned it for good. Key to experiencing what Joseph experienced is to see our lives from God's perspective. It's to invite God into the statement of our lives. The enemy says, you, you, the enemy intended to harm me, but God. And watch how God finishes that sentence in your life. It's to begin to step back from our situation. Stop beating yourself up. Stop retreating. Stop wishing things were different. Stop being there in the if only, if only, if only. Just stop, stop being on that if only merry-go-round. And start to pray, God, I don't know why you've allowed this, but I know that you're sovereign and I know that you're good. Help me to see this from your perspective. 
I'm going to repeat that again because, because this is really important. It's a key. Start to pray, God, I don't know why you've allowed this. It's okay to say to God, Lord, this doesn't make any sense to me. I know you're good. I know you're sovereign. This makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's okay to talk like that to God. But I know that you're sovereign. And I know that you're a good God. Help me to see this from your perspective. I wonder... There might be some people here and you're still in the pit screaming like Joseph. Screaming, screaming. You're in that cart where the Midianites are taking you away. Bible actually tells us that he was screaming to his brothers, let me out of here. Some of us might still be in that place screaming out to God. God wants to bring you to your destiny and the very thing you despise about your life is the very thing that God wants to use to bring you um, to your destiny. Some of you are saying, Pastor Joe, how can God use what I've been through? I mean, I get Joseph. I get Moses. I get all of these other dudes. I I cannot understand how God could use something that I've been through. How, How can God use this situation that I've been through for His glory? That's a good question. Reality is I can't give you that answer. I, 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 don't, I don't know why. But I know someone who can and His name is Jesus. Jesus understands all about dark places. You know why? Because He's been there. He's been there. He's, he's suffered everything that we've suffered. And Joseph is actually a type of Jesus who had similar experiences. Jesus was despised, rejected. He was abandoned by his friends. He was killed by his enemies. Jesus is on the cross. Listen carefully. How bad things were for Jesus. He's on the cross and he cries out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Anybody ever cried that out to God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's how bad Jesus felt. The enemy thought Jesus would finally be defeated. Had him nailed to a cross. He said, that's it. His intention was, his plan was to destroy Jesus, nail him to a cross, kill him, and everything's finished. But what the enemy didn't know was the power of these two little words. But God. Let me read it to you from the book of Acts. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, speaking about Jesus, and you, with the help of of, of wicked men, put him to death by nailing to a cross. Acts 2.24, but God. There's those two words, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold of him. And in that same chapter, Peter says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, as we prepare to break bread, I pray that you would invite Jesus into your story, into the statement that describes your life. And in so doing, allow him to change the trajectory of your life. Maybe right now your sentence only reads the first part. You intended whatever the enemy has intended and you can you can describe exactly what the enemy has planned in your life maybe maybe your life the script of your life is just the first part 
This morning, why don't we invite God into it? Why don't we invite those two words into our story? Rather than regrets and, 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 and uh, you know, the if only and I should have, I could have, I might have and just keep going around and around in circles. Why not step back from that situation and say, God, I don't, I don't understand what's going on, but I know that you're sovereign and I know that you're good. I invite you into this, into this pain. Help me to see it from your perspective. I pray today. Can I hear an amen? We're going to break bread together. And I want to ask, uh, would you stay seated? Uh, Chris is going to lead us in a song and just going to ask the brethren to distribute uh, the emblems. I want you to hold them in your hand and then we're going to come back and take communion together. Thank you.